What's poppin'? I am Edgar otra vez, and welcome to another episode of the Flow Row Podcast. Now, today on the show, I have a very special guest, owner of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland, Jiu-Jitsu black belt, and all-around charming guy, John Lawrence. Now, if you dig all this Jiu-Jitsu talk, make sure you head on over to our website, theflowrollpodcast.com. There you'll find a complete catalog of all our episodes, but also you can find specific playlists with themes that we handle on the show. We do a lot of movie reviews. We also do some fight breakdowns, but we also have a playlist specifically for jujitsu. If you head on over our website, right on the front page, I have a little tile and it's all jujitsu episodes. So go ahead and click on that tile and you'll see all the other conversations I've had with black belts. I've had John on quite a bit and he's an excellent person to chat with. So make sure you head on over to the website and check that out. So we have a fun one today. John was kind enough to gather some questions from his followers on Instagram and we're going to be answering those questions. Also, we're going to be tackling the subject of long-term training and mostly it's a conversation of longevity in jiu-jitsu but also periodization so i hope you dig this one now without further ado on with the show all right welcome to another episode of the floral podcast i am edgar otra vez and today on the show i have my special guest jiu-jitsu black belt owner of hurricane jiu-jitsu out in cleveland John Lawrence. What's going on, John? Oh, yeah. Good to be here, man. Man, thanks for uh, so much for coming on. And uh, I, I really appreciate you coming on early. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I love yeah, it. This is awesome. Uh, also, like, um, I wanted to take a moment and, and thank you, too, because I, I feel that as the podcast continues to, as I continue to, like, gain more skill in the podcast, a lot of that I kind of owe to you. Uh, thank you for coming on in those early episodes where I was a mess and uh, yeah. and, and uh, you were one of the people who made me a better podcaster, interviewer, what have you. So I, I appreciate that and I appreciate the chances you gave me in the early early on with the podcast. So thanks oh, so dude. much, John. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think you're great at it, man. It's just like you got you got the right voice for it, like a both physical voice, but then also uh, you do a really good job not stepping on people like during the uh, during the interviews, you know, I don't know if it's the interview per se, but like, yeah, I don't, you just you got a good vibe for it. You're good Thanks. at it. Thanks, man. I so did you? Did you? You got that screenshot I sent you? Yeah, the, I got the I got the screenshot. Is, is that all the ones you got, or did you get more than those? It seems. Um, I think I had a few trickle in like this morning. Oh, but, that's um, I, And and for people listening, I'm talking about the um, uh, we surveyed some topics on Instagram last night. What did I have? One guy, the one guy, one trickle in. Let me read it real quick. So I think there was one more that was kind of interesting. I hope I'm not like jamming up the uh, format here. No, no, no. Go for it, man. We were taking questions for people. We had some jujitsu questions that John actually sent, sent out a post and got some questions for us. I had two more interesting ones. One of my students asked, what's the best way to improve at jujitsu when your work-life balance doesn't really allow you to train as much as you like? I think that's kind of interesting. That's a tough one to answer, but it's interesting. <clears throat> and then this uh, the other guy, you, I, I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to put him on blast, but I think he follows you. He asked, uh, do you differentiate between old school and new school jujitsu? Uh, so, that's a, that's a, that's an interesting one. I don't, I'm, yeah. yeah. But like, let's start with the first one. What was the first sure, one again? Sure, sure. Uh, this one was from one of my students, best way to improve at jujitsu when your work, work life balance doesn't allow, allow for training as much as you'd like. 
So I think part of that question too is like, okay, so you can't go to the jujitsu as often. What would you say would be uh, the minimum for you to improve? Like how much attendance would be? You see, I don't like saying this either because then it's like, oh, this is the minimum. And then people are going to be like, right. okay, I'm just going to do two classes a week because that's all I need. I mean, obviously that's, you know, not the best mindset, yeah. but if that's the time you have, right, What what is – what is the absolute minimum do you think a student should be attending the class? I man, I think it, de- it depends a lot on what your ultimate goals are. Um, but I mean, I, I also think like you could you could get better at jujitsu, <laughs> however small the increment. You could get better at jujitsu training one time a week. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you really could. Now you would be getting better very slowly. But if you did jujitsu once a week for five years, it's definitely conceivable that. After five years, when somebody comes in on their first day, you're you're gonna you're gonna roll that person into a pretzel because you've been doing it for five years once a week, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but meanwhile, your peers that have been training two days a week, three days a week, four days a week, five days a week, I mean, they're they're gonna be flying by you. Yeah. So I I don't I don't really like setting minimums on people like in the absolute sense. I would say like for my school, I have the rate set. At, at a certain point, like the monthly rate, because I really actually want to discourage people from training like only once a week. So like people be like, oh, can I just pay the drop in and, and come in once a week? And, I'm, and I just, I don't want to waste a lot of like time resources on those people because I want to dedicate those time resources to people who are just interested in training more, you know? Yeah, there's nothing yeah. wrong, there's nothing wrong with wanting to train once a week. There's there's nothing wrong with those people. It's just not really where I want to put my my time and attention if that makes sense no so, it makes sense because like you said that person's training slowly right and i think yeah, one yeah. of the things that's happening too as you continue to train you know once or twice a week and you're seeing all your peers advance it, it happens to me rick bentoncourt is a perfect example oh yeah, yeah. I, I was a blue belt when he started and he's a black belt i'm still purple belt you know and he and yeah, that, yeah. that could be a little demoralizing right i mean or um not the more <laughs> discouraging right like you you see that guy and he you don't really understand especially at the time i didn't realize he was there like all the time right yeah all the time yeah sure. and and, and that's that's a lot of dedication and so he got mm-hmm. what he deserves he got the black belt right so nothing to take away from him it's awesome but i do remember sitting there feeling a little salty and that that's the part i think that gets to people right like uh, the whole idea of like, oh, I should be measuring my improvement for myself versus watching other people fly by me because that's going to happen. It's all that's going to happen, especially if you're only training once a week. If you just stick to it, I guess, you know, once a week will work for you. But also, I guess, as you as an instructor, you see this person come in, you know, five, six times a week. He's dedicated, you know, and you see his improvement, right? <laughs> But also you see, you see your lessons coming in, right? So you teach this guy, I don't know, a crab ride or whatever, right? And so now he's using it by the end of the week. Let's, mm. let's just say he is, right? He, he's trying sure. to use it. He's, he's putting, but that one person that came in once, learned that crab ride, you're not going to see him or her apply that move again until next week. And maybe mm. by that time, that person's already kind of not, remembered what what he's doing so i think that i think for you as an instructor would you say that that's part of it too is that you can see right away the results whereas that other person may not even get the results that he needs my hope is what you're talking about is uh frequency of like seeing 
a given technique and then being able to rep it out over the course of a week. Like that's kind of what you're referencing. Mm -hmm. And I think, I hope that a lot of my students think I'm a really boring instructor, especially lately. I've really been in this habit of showing two to three techniques per class. And I'll, I will span that throughout the week mm. to the point where if you've been in a few of my classes that week, you've seen this set of techniques a few times. And again, I think one of the, one of the biggest obstacles to being a good instructor is feeling the pressure to be exciting at classes. Huh. I think the best instructors are able to set that aside and go, I don't care about impressing people. I don't care about being flashy. I care about transmitting knowledge. And I think the best way to do that is to give the same people a look at a series of techniques multiple times throughout a week and just give them time and position, time yeah. and position, time and position. So that's exactly what you're referencing. You teach somebody a crab run on Monday and they get to work on it for 15 minutes on Monday. And then the following Monday, when they come to class again, you're onto something new and they really have had no time to let that, let that little plant grow. You know what right. I'm saying? Yeah. So again, it just, um, the more that I teach, the more obsessed I get with that, just time and position repetition, going deep into just a few techniques, as opposed to going broad over like nine or 10 techniques throughout the week. And I'm seeing the improvement in my students. So it's working. Yeah. But then one student that comes in, let's say three times a week, right? That person, yeah, maybe, maybe by Friday or whatever. He's, yeah. he's trying it in roles. He's trying real hard in those roles, right? But oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. But you don't yeah. get to see that with the one person no. who only comes in once a week, right? Because yeah. one of the things you're saying is, is that you're going to put more time in the students that you see that come in more, more right? Is part, um, of, no, is no, part, of, is no. part of what you're doing, like, does that kind of take you out of it? Or is it just because you just don't see the student enough that you feel like you're not investing in, in them because they're, yeah. they're, they're not investing as much as they can with you is is there something yeah i'm not i'm not saying that you play favorites but is there no, something there's something there I do. That, yeah, yeah you do no i i do i play favorite I, I do play favorites uh i so i consider like so if you're paying to be a member at the gym mm -hmm. i consider like what you're paying monthly as just like that's just like your entry fee if yeah. that makes sense like you get access to the schedule for that price and like anything anything after that is extra. So I do play favorites. If I see somebody who's like really dedicated to coming three to four days a week or not even necessarily based on frequency, if they just are really good students, I mean, I'm human like everybody else. I'm going to gravitate toward those people who, who I think like are, are doing the right things to, to grow and like get good at jujitsu. Cause that's, that's what I want. I want to teach people and I, I want to see them get good at jujitsu. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with the with the student who doesn't show up as much. Like everybody who walks into a jujitsu gym, they just I mean, you know this after training for so long. Like everybody has different goals, everybody has different objectives, aspirations, and then also everybody has wildly different lives. I mean, we've got like how often are you in a room where like one of your buddies is a surgeon and and then the other uh is working for the city, picking up trash. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and and then you have somebody else who's a student and somebody else who's a trust fund baby who can yeah. just train as much. And you've got all these people and to hold like to hold them in your mind to, to the same standard is unrealistic and it's unfair. So I really don't make any value judgments as far as that goes. You just, you do what you're able to do and that's kind of where it ends for me. Mm -hmm. You know? So so going back to the question, uh, I think I don't even think I answered your question. <laughs> no, I, I'm just correct. no, no. It, so like the the question was again like, how can I improve if I can't go enough? Would you say 
Oh, uh, yeah, sure, sure. Would you say watching tape or watching other grapplers when you can, watching yeah. watching the instructionals, yeah. do you think that's there's value there, uh, especially at a low level, like a white belt, when you don't really understand everything just yet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for certain people who learn a certain way, there's all these different uh, styles of learning that people have. I can say for myself, I can sit and improve certain aspects of my game just by watching footage of high-level guys, right? Mm. But again, I would take this back to the, the sort of like individual lifestyle problem. If you're working for like a software company or an insurance company, and you have a lot of dead desk time all day long, and you can turn on flow grappling and watch some matches, that's awesome. But I also have students who have like very high attention jobs, like they're a doctor. And so like they don't have like dead desk time in the same way where they're like, they're at a desk and they're like, I've got an hour and a half to kill, I'll turn a flow grappling. They're running and gunning all day long. Mm. And again, no, no value judgment against either profession. It's just some people can do that. Some people can like roll, roll some footage and watch during the day. And some people, there's their jobs are structured in a way where they just they don't have the opportunity to do that. You yeah. know? Yeah. But I think it's a great way to get better. What other little life hacks do you have that would you think would help a, a student improve um, like, like that? I, I think... I would also say that like you've gotta you've gotta find a gym that that has like a basically like a broad schedule. You've gotta you've gotta find a gym that offers early morning classes or later in the evening classes. Um, if you take that out of the equation, if you just can't find a gym with with a schedule that works for you, I mean you're kind of dead in the water. I yeah. guess you could you can you could get some mats and get a buddy and watch YouTube. Like that's not bad, mm-hmm. but. It's also not great. You know, I run into this a lot when I talk to people about their schedules. I go, "Why don't you hit? Why don't you hit the six thirty classes?" And they go, "Well, you know, I want to get eight hours of sleep, and I don't go to bed until you know midnight." I go, why, why are you not going to bed till midnight? Well, you know, I want to get home from work. I want to decompress, watch Netflix, and I'm not going to go like Jocko on you right now and say that you shouldn't be doing that. I mean, yeah. dude, when you get home from work, sometimes like you just want to sit down and you want to have some you time you want to just zone out on netflix for an hour like i i understand that you know so it's it's again it's it's really just about the right school it's about your schedule and it's about like it's about how much how much this matters to you if it doesn't matter to you that much there's nothing wrong with that i don't really give a shit about um uh let's take um just any other like like hobby level activity that a person might have you know, if you just want to indulge once a week or once every couple of weeks, like that's okay. It's just not for you. Yeah. Yeah. And is there a point where you're like, you look at a student and you're like, ah, I'm not going to say anything to him, but he's not going to make it. Where you're just like, well, he's just coming in once or he's not really improving. Uh, here's, here's, what I have a, here's what I have a problem with. I can't say this for all gyms, but at my gym, you can be whoever you want to be. If you want to be a casual guy once a week, once every two weeks, once a month, I have no problem with that. If you want to be, let's call that person like the civilian. Okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to be a pro, you know, if you want to come multiple times a day, multiple days a week, and you, and you want to be really serious, you want to be a pro. I have no problem with that. What I have a major problem with is people who want to talk like a pro and act like a pro, but yeah. train like a civilian. Yeah. Or I have a problem with somebody who wants to talk like a civilian, act like a civilian and train like a pro. So, I guess what I'm saying is like your messaging to me and to the world, I feel like it needs to, to match 
the way that you're training. I know that like the way I just spelled that out, probably only about half of that was real clear. It made sense. Uh-huh. Um, no, no, it made sense to me. I mean, you're, you're saying okay. someone, yeah, you're saying you have your filthy casual, as they say, but he wants, he wants to act like Conor McGregor, right? You can't do that. You can't come in and act like you're, you know, somebody, you know, Gordon so, Ryan so or something, but. I've, I've known people who I'm not singling any, any single person out because I've seen this time and time again throughout the years. I've seen people who will, let's take the, the simple case first. It's big talk like to the instructors, it's big talk to the training partners, it's big talk on social media, but ultimately this person is just not training like a professional. Yeah. Talking like a professional, but they're not training like one. And I have a problem with how those two things don't match up. It's just totally insincere to me, okay? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the easy case. But I also have a problem with the person who like talks like a casual, acts like a casual, projects like a very casual attitude, but then is like training like a pro. Yeah. So what you're doing is you're taking you're taking like the uh, God. I really don't want to well, call well, it. I find it I, here, but it's I find that instance that you're talking about the second one. I find that mm-hmm. interesting that that bothers you as well. Like it bothers that, me a lot. Yeah, because again, it's a very insincere attitude. There's a style of communication, a style of. Um, Let's just say it's a style of communication where, like, the messaging to your training partners is like, "Oh, you know, it's uh, it's 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 whatever. It's no big deal. I did a thing over the weekend. Uh, oh, I competed. I didn't. I, did, <laughs> so, I didn't. I didn't really care." There's there's a very like casual attitude about doing very very serious things. So you have a very casual attitude about the fact that you went into this competition. You have a very casual attitude about the fact that you're training like seven days a week, but you're acting like it really doesn't matter to you that much. Yeah. I had a student, I, I, and again, if, if you think I'm singling you out here, I promise you I'm not, but I, I've had students say things to me like, oh, like I'm doing this this match this weekend and you know, it's whatever. It's just, I'm just kind of like doing it for a goof. And yeah. that is an attitude that's, that is more and more pervasive in jujitsu where it's like, Oh, like I'm doing this competition, but it's whatever. It's just for, it's just for the lulls, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just for fun. And I, I can't stand that. It is, it's terribly insincere. Uh-huh. You know, obviously if you're training a lot and you're competing a lot, this must mean something to you. And to pretend that it doesn't, I think is just as bad as going the other way. I think it's just as bad as talking like a pro, but training like a casual. Yeah. I I mean, I, I hope I, this all makes sense. No, it does. It's the person who's trying to be modest, right? But it, it's gotten it's gotten almost overboard with it, right? Like like of course it matters, you know? It does matter and it you're not fooling anyone. And the false modesty is just kind of annoying, right? Cuz it's I don't it's, think it's false modesty. I think it's I think it's a it's an it's an ego saving technique where if you're acting like you don't care and then you lose and you go down in just glorious flames you can always you can you can always just fall back on like oh like you know this is just whatever for me like i'm just i'm just goofing around like you can always just be the person who's goofing around and then when you lose you don't feel it and the really crazy part of the magic trick is everybody around you just goes ah he's just fucking around all the time anyway so it's like it's like a way to, to pull this ego saving parachute every single time it doesn't go your way Mm. So and I, that, that's an attitude I cannot stand. I like that because then you're saying you're saying, hey, you know, say you're going to win, say it matters to you, and when it, yeah. when when you lose, it's okay that it sucks that you said that you were going to win. You know, I think that's the way to look at it. Like, dude, when I go into competition, um, I think it's important to have like to have a balance, and that you go like this matters to me. 
I do want to do well. I do want to win. But if I lose, it's not the end of the world. That's a healthy relationship with a healthy mental relationship with competing. Okay. You know, but to lie to yourself and to lie to everybody around you that like you just don't really care that much. And I go, why are you training six days a week? And why are you always watching jujitsu videos? And why are you always competing? It doesn't make any sense. That's inter interesting because I don't think I've seen that just yet. I've seen that a lot. I've seen that. I mean, I've seen that everywhere. I've seen that in people who've trained in my school. I've seen that like more broadly in the regional jujitsu scene. And you even see it with, you know, guys like, um, like Craig Jones does this, mm. you know. And now I'd just like to, to say, I think he is an incredible grappler. I think he's an incredible instructor, but I hate his whole vibe. I think he like made himself a rash guard that says, all I see is silver. Like, you know, there's a, there's a saying, all what? I see is gold. I think it's it's like, a, you know, like, I think Jordan Burroughs, the wrestler, he, he, I think he would say that a lot, like, all I see is gold, because he was um, pretty sure he won gold in the Olympics at least mm -hmm. once. Uh -huh. But to say that, it's like, look, I get it, like, you won silver at ADCC, but, like, to make a joke out of something that clearly means a lot to you, yeah, I just, th I just think is insincere. And you just, you just see that a lot. Yeah, but it's also kind of, like, at least, like, who wants to wear that shirt? You know, well, he well he he wants to wear it apparently. Well, I mean that's him, but like I mean I don't want to wear that shirt. I mean I want to. You see, you see me as a student too. Like some of the things that you you mentioned kind of uh, hit home for me at least. Like because, and I, I'm sure it does for a lot of students. When I first started martial arts, and you know, and I showed up to my first martial arts gym and met my first martial arts instructor, all I did was like, hey man, I'm going to be fighting in in you know as soon as possible. How soon? Two weeks in, how soon can I get from two weeks in to fighting in the ring? You know, like that was my, that's all I wanted to do. Right. But part of that was like, this guy's cool. This guy's real cool. I was 16. This guy's real cool. I want to be his friend. I want to, I want to be around. I want this guy's acceptance. Right. And him giving me his acceptance means I, I'm somehow in this group. Right. So now I'm in part of the cool kids. So like, I think a lot of that happened. There, there's a lot of that in there. And I think that's healthy to a certain extent, especially if, if you have a good instructor who's going to treat you right and take care of you and stuff. But like mm -hmm. a good student wants to come in and be in your inner circle, be part of your crew. And then I think something that happens, especially when you realize, oh man, I can't, I can't come that often. Right. That's okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's sure. okay. But for them, it, you know, that's, I think another thing that knocks them down the, the the pole and then when they realize they're not part of that inner circle and they may not ever be able to i think that's another part of of this uh of this uh how can i improve with jujitsu you, you start feeling again you start feeling like you're an outsider at this point not only are you not going to improve but also you're not going to get that special treatment which is something that you're kind of talking about you know you're going to give that extra attention to those students that come more often sure. and so then that's i think part of what happens when people start falling out of jiu-jitsu it's just like i can't show up the teacher doesn't like me you know uh i'm not improving <laughs> yeah, sure. i get my ass kicked every time i show up i can only go once or twice a week you know and so that's a little demoralizing right but like again it's i think if you you know what do you say to that student just stick it out uh come more like what are the other options that that student <clears throat> would have especially when you have some of this you know psychological stuff going on this mental stuff I, yeah i think you I, so i think again feel accepting of anybody regardless of what stage of life they're in everybody's in a different spot everybody's got different jobs i think it's important to to take a look at your age your your position in life your job your social life your romantic life understand that these are all 
these are all variables that are going to be shifting, you know, between the ages of 20 and 60, I guess. And I think it's important to just understand where you are and kind of give yourself a break. If you're a lawyer who's working 60 hours a week and you've got three kids and you're married and you got a dog to walk and you've got a, I'm just, this is just one example of many. You're going to be able to distribute your time and manage your time in, in certain ways that a, a 20 year old, uh, it's going to be very different from that person. So again, like I, I just, um, I, I really, I don't judge people on what they're actually able to do given their life and their schedule. Like it's it, for me, it, it's just nice to have nice people at the gym training. That's, that's really where it ends for me. So yeah, I don't, unfortunately, like to answer the question that my students submitted, there really is no easy answer. You could give up your, uh, give up your life and give up your job and give up your family and just start training a lot. Um, I don't recommend it. You know? uh, <laughs> we but, all want to do it, but right. yeah, how are we going to eat? That is right? some, but that is something you could do. But if, but if then that, that person came to me and said like, Hey, I just, I just sold my house and all my personal belongings and I'm, <laughs> I'm on the jujitsu right now. I just, I just kind of look at that and go, okay, well that's going to be your journey now. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I've, uh, Have you I had somebody no do that? Uh, no, 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 um, no, that's not sustainable. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. But I mean, I'm just curious yeah. if somebody did that. Cause I mean, you hear some of those stories. Yeah. I don't know. I don't personally know, know anybody who's, who's, uh, who's done that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so no. what was the next question? Um, the, the other question that your student, uh, sent over. I had a few, I, let me look. I had a few students submit a few things. Um, but you, you had another really good one that came in later. Oh. Uh, I had somebody who I, let me do another one. The one I read you was um, differentiating, differentiating between old school and new school jujitsu. I think that's a really easy question to answer. I don't think it would take long. And yeah. then one from my student was basically what mistakes do white belts make and how to correct them to, to advance uh, in skill and rank, which Ooh. I thought was, was interesting. That is interesting. So how, so what, 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 where do you want to go with that? So what, what mistakes do white belts make mm -hmm. and what can they do to improve them? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, okay. So what, what is one of the biggest glaring mistakes that you see? Is it uh, trying to learn those positions really fast? Like, Ooh, I, yeah. I saw this buggy choke thing. I want to try a buggy <laughs> choke, but yet sure. I don't know how to pass guard. I don't know what mount is, you know, like, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. sure, sure. So white, I actually, I'm going to take maybe an unorthodox stance on this one. I overall, I love white belts. Um, I know that it's very chic to like be online and sort of shit on white belts. And it's like <laughs> a lot of like, there are a lot of memes about white belts, but I actually, I actually like white belts a lot. To me, they're very easy to teach overall. I think it gets a lot harder to teach people like around purple belt. I feel like that's where I run into a lot of obstacles teaching people things. We can talk about that, but yeah, I, so I think the main enemy of improvement when it comes to guys who are newer white belts is also one of their greatest strength, strengths, which is their enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. You know, they can always come to you. They go, what can I do? What can I do to get better? I want to get better faster. Can I watch some videos. I was going to buy this instructional. I was going to buy Gordon Ryan's like whole, you know, $2,000 instructional <laughs> package. I'm going to get them all. Like, what do I do? Yeah. And the answer I usually give them is, is understandably frustrating. And it's going to be understandably frustrating to anybody listening. But when you're that early, we've talked about this a little bit before, yeah. basically one of you want to find a school and an instructor 
that you trust that has a proven track record and you just you want to show up up on a consistent basis. And you want to do that in a way that's not too light and not too heavy. I had this guy come in several months ago. I'm, I'm not going to give away anything about this person. He will not be identified. But he came in really, really nice guy, crazy enthusiastic. He's texting me, hey, coach, like I want to get into the gym uh, or before the morning class so I can like do a little extra workout. Can I get in at 5 a.m.? Can I, can I oh, unlock Jesus. the door? Of course, I said, no, that's totally unprofessional to let somebody into your business an hour early, but would just set that aside for a second. Um, you know, that's not, not the type of place I run. Um, and, you know, this guy is, he's, he is like squeezing through the door as I'm unlocking it. He's in there doing sprints and jumping jacks and sit ups. And, you know, what can I do to improve? What videos can I watch? What? And, I, and I, I was always the same thing. I was like, look, man, just it's early for you. You've been training for two weeks. Just, just, show up to train train two to three days a week maybe three to four days a week don't train so hard that you get just demolished and you're sore and you can't come like don't overdo it but don't underdo it like keep the balance keep coming and i knew this guy was going to wash out i Uh, i knew any anytime people come in that hot that enthusiastic and you know there's just a vibe I get where I go, this person is going to cancel their membership within the next month or two. Uh, sure enough, that's exactly, it's exactly what happened. And that's just, that's just all too common. So like the enthusiasm that is like very helpful for improvement, it's like oxygen on a fire, right? Like if you have too little, the fire's not, it's not going to go. If you have too much, the fire's going to burn the whole goddamn house down. Right. Mm. So like, that's what I say to people. I say, just just take a moderate balanced approach for a very long period of time. And then let's, then let's, let's talk about that question again in like a year or two. Now, this is like the least sexy answer you could give anybody for anything. It's like, well, <laughs> what, what do I, what do I do? And I go, Oh, just, just be, just show up consistently um, for the next, uh, for the next year or two. And then we'll talk again. And it's like, well, well, yeah. You know? Yeah. No, and no. I understand that, you know? Yeah, nobody nobody likes those answers. Uh, just come in and work. We want the secret special move that's gonna surprise right. everybody and right. make you win. So now, like to everybody listening to this who thinks that I might be full of shit, <laughs> I want everybody to ask themselves a question. Okay, if I've had like a major obstacle in my progress, like you say you've been training for a couple of years and you or, or three or four or five years and you've had a major obstacle, what was that obstacle? Okay. Chances are pretty good that it was either burnout or it was an injury. And you could avoid both burnout and injury by doing the first thing that I said to do. Hmm. You take a moderate approach for a long period of time and then maybe ask the question again. You know, you're not, you're likely not going to get injured and you're likely uh, not going to get burnt out if you're doing it in that way. You know, but if you, re- if you just redline it, if you're just going to come out like, I'm going to do a marathon. Wait, a marathon's good. Why don't I do an ultra marathon? You know, ultra marathon's good. Why don't I do three ultra marathons in a row this weekend, next weekend, the following weekend? It's like more is better, right? And it's yeah. it's just it's not that way, you know. Yeah, the body. Yeah, the body definitely can't take that. So so basically, uh, for a lot of these problems and questions, is just like, just come in, and don't come yeah, in too, and, I, and don't come and in too hot. This, yeah. And I would say this too, like to, to credit to like most of my students, when I give this advice, I really would say that a lot of people follow it. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I feel like I've, I've, um, I've been really lucky to, to have just a group of sort of open-minded, intelligent people that show up and understand that like 
we've got a good school. We've got a proven track record of turning out some very good grapplers. And they go, okay, like I'm going to listen to the coaches, you know? And, uh, and, and for the most part they do, you know? So, um, so if I was sounding like a little bit too negative early on, like I, I I just want to be clear that like, I'm very happy with how 99% of people receive advice from the coaches, you know, Mm. 1% is kind of loud. That's it. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think you're being negative. I think you're just being honest, being honest with, with all the answers so far. You know, I'm not that you lie, but you know, well, you know, but at, uh, coder, so. <laughs> I think to a certain extent, especially when you're dealing with adults, I appreciate things not being sugar-coated. I mean, I'm for sure. I'm 47. I don't need things to be sugar sugar-coated for me. Just tell me <laughs> okay. what's up. Fair. You know, fair enough. It, fair enough. But anyway, um, what is the next question? Do you think we we handled that one? I th- yeah, just in terms of the way that he phrased the question was basically like. You know, I, I, it was something like, like, what do white belts do wrong? Oh, yeah, and again, right. I just, I, I just want to reiterate, like, I feel like the white belts get a lot of really, it's, it's this hierarchical stigma that is projected down from the higher ranks. I've never liked that type of hierarchy. Yeah. I think I really enjoy teaching new people. Again, I feel like I run into more obstacles with people, you know, when, when anybody starts to like develop expertise in something they start to think that they really have a handle on something, they inevitably get harder to teach. And I'm not even excluding myself from that. I was definitely that way, like around purple and brown. I think I think I really started to feel like I had a handle on it and like you couldn't tell me anything. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I had that kind of attitude. And so yeah, on average, I would say I, I have a harder time with purple belts and and early brown belts than I do with white belts because they've got like they've got a way about them already. Like they've got certain ideas, they've got certain habits, they've got certain pathways, can't teach an old dog new tricks type of thing. They're a little bit harder to work with in some ways. And in other ways, they're far easier to work with. You know, they learn fast, but. I, I like to think that I'm past that point where I don't. I think you are. Yeah. But, but you're also, you know, you're also not like, um, you know, you're not like a young man full of fire anymore. Yeah, either. yeah well, you know that's, what I mean. That's that's exactly I think part of it too. Is just like uh, when I roll, especially, it's just like, and this is going to be something we can tackle a little later. But I also like, I'm aware that first of all, this might be a black belt, that might be a brown belt. You know, all I want to do is I don't even care about losing anymore. I, I just, I mean, I do. Don't get me wrong, I do. Yeah, sure, sure. But I care more about not getting hurt. You know, I just want to be able to come in tomorrow. You know. That's, mm-hmm. that's my main goal. If I can win, that's great too, you know? Uh, but I'm also not trying to win every single round. Sometimes I'll try something and it doesn't work out and I have to tap, you know? And it's just like, oh, fuck. Ah, well, I made a mistake. You know, I shouldn't have done this. And, and I've, I've, I like to think, at least for me, and, and I'm a purple belt. So like now that I'm thinking, I like to think that I got to the point where it's like, I'm, you know, I can, I can try something new know that it's maybe not super solid just yet but i'm I'm trying it because i want to want to get to know the position or the move or whatever and if i get tapped mm. i'm okay with the tapping you know um mm. uh but like there was a time where it was just like especially white belt blue belt i i want to win i want to win every round i don't care how big you are how small you are i i want to win and i and i think that that's definitely something that kind of uh uh, that, that's you know that that fire you see in, in younger white belts right uh but i think that's an that's an obstacle to, to learning as well um treating <clears throat> treating the training room like the like the competition room all of the time i think you should 
treat it like that at times. Uh Um, but, and maybe we can get into this a little bit more when we talk about, um, longevity, long-term, long-term training methodology. Yeah. But I do think there are times when you should treat it that way. Um, but to treat it like the competition, Matt, every single time you come in is insane and it's not, it's not sustainable. Yeah. No, it, it's not. And, but I mean, that's why white belts get the flack that they get, right? Cause they come in and they, they're just nuts and they don't know everything, well, like, right? But, there, but there's, there's a, there's a paradox there because my, my goal actually is to get people to the point where anytime they want, they can come in and just wreck shop. They can just come in and destroy most of the people on the mat. I want to get everybody to that point. Like at the end of the day, I want to teach people how to be crushers, destroyers, badasses. Like that's what I want. Mm. Um, but there's, I think there's an old school mentality that like you, that you have to be that way all of the time in order to get to that point. People will be like, Oh, if you want to be a lion, you have to train, train with lions. That's, <laughs> that's not entirely true. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm just talking from like a, just like a sports performance, just a scientific pr- perspective. You know, I get that that's like a very exciting perspective, you know, you just want to get in a room with the best guys and then they all just kick the shit out of you. And you're like, I'm better today than I was yesterday. And it's like, you might not be, yeah. like, that's actually, that's actually <laughs> not really true. Um, that's kind of a, that's kind of a dumb, dumb way to look at it. Okay. Uh-huh. It, yeah. It gives us a good segue into the old school, new school. Old school, new school. Yeah. I, I, that one to me is, uh, it's a very simple answer. What, what is the distinction between, old school jujitsu and new school jujitsu. I would start by saying no value judgment on either one. I practice and teach both in certain circumstances. I think simply put old school jujitsu is a style of jujitsu where there is a like presupposition of violence. Like you're assuming that throughout, throughout training in this style, that at any point in time, you might apply this to an actual fight or a situation with strikes. And anytime you're in a position where the person could touch your face or punch you in the head, you're probably in a suboptimal position. It's probably not a place that you want to be. That's old school jujitsu. Okay. And again, no value judgment. It just is. That's just what it is. Okay. New school jujitsu basically takes the concern about strikes and sets it aside. And then you're just, you're now in a style where you're really not concerned with any like ballistic violence. You're not really concerned with any like kinetic damage from strikes. The idea that somebody is going to like, going to wind up and hit you with something, a foot, a shin, a hand, an elbow. You're not really worried about that anymore. Mm. And what that does is it opens things up, up and makes things far more creative because now you have this, you have all this new freedom. You're not constrained by like the threat of violence anymore. And you get some really interesting, really, really beautiful techniques out of this. Again, no value judgment. That's just what that is. Okay. Okay. And then you've, but then where the value judgment comes in is, is people then create camps and you get mostly older guys who are kind of dorks saying <laughs> like, you know, like, Oh, you know, old school jujitsu is the way because, because X, Y, and Z, and these young kids wouldn't win in a fight. You can't pull guard in a fight. Leg locks are going to get you punched in the face. There's, there's this whole set of ideas that comes with it. And then the, the new school, typically younger demographic, um, they think all the old guys are just, 
you know, just loser dinosaurs you know, that don't know what they're talking about. And, and, and unfortunately, I feel like both camps don't recognize and take in the strength of the other camp. Mm. If that makes if that makes sense, yeah, you know? no, it does make sense. Um, it's political. It's, it's quite political, actually. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, i i like the I like the definitions that you put down, um, especially when it comes to things like leg locks, because I think leg locks, at least, and again, I'm not, I'm not putting any real value judgments, although I am kind of being judgmental. Let's argue. Let's argue about it. Come on. Yeah. So, like foot locks, <laughs> foot locks, I think are very applicable to like a. Uh, uh, kinetic situation like you're talking about with strikes and stuff or i I, or ballistic like you said uh i think because i think you can you can end up on the ground or something and then instead of trying to pass you could just easily break that leg and then that person's out of commission right especially in the self-defense situation so you got one man down and if it's multiple attackers you you take that guy that guy takes you down let's say he's a wrestler or something he pulls you down you you could just you know attempt the leg lock if that's what presents itself break that and get up and you're fine sure can you get punched yeah but if you can pull that leg off you know that's one man down he's not going to be standing up you know let's assume that with multiple attackers you're just dead let's just assume <laughs> okay no no we got to do the john wick thing where yeah, right. you know you're fighting this guy wait his turn yeah he'll yeah. wait his turn yeah, <laughs> no, I understand. Yeah. no but I'm, I'm just saying like if that's the situation yeah but yeah you're right. I mean, 100%, first of all, in, in a real life self-defense situation, because we were going to talk about this and I did a little study. <laughs> you get attacked on the street, you're most likely going to be attacked with a gun. Mm. And that, that negates everything. All that sure. disarming gun stuff, that stuff is dangerous. You're better off just getting the Yeah, I'm much more interested in just handing my wallet over. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely exactly so cancel my credit cards <laughs> exactly because <laughs> i got no real cash in the wallet it's all just credit no, cards I, by the no. time i can get home and cancel everything yeah you know but anyway uh but but just in terms of like okay let's let's get the the silly john wick scenario out of it let's talk about mma yeah, MMA is a, good, a good example yeah i agree leg locks have been used really effectively in mma uh, are there you know are there drawbacks to it? Of course, you know, uh, but nothing's secure, you know, but I mean, I find that interesting that you would group leg locks as part of the new school. Um, I'm not, uh, so, uh, not, not necessarily. I'm just, uh, just generally, but, but, but also yeah. consider an MMA, like you, you, you'll hear this a lot. People will say it's some truth to it. Like, you know, when somebody goes for a leg lock in MMA, you know, we've seen a lot of guys get into trouble. I mean, we saw, uh, you know, we saw Gary Tonin go for that heel hook and he got KO'd, you know, I mean, like, look, you know, if you go for legs, you can get KO'd. Well, let's also count all the times that somebody has thrown up a triangle from closed guard, gotten it shrugged by and the guard passed. And then they, they subsequently get finished with strikes. For some reason that never goes into the count against a more traditional technique. The bottom line is in MMA, I mean, if you're on the bottom and somebody is standing over you and they have the power to, to, to rain down strikes there, I mean, there's, that's just a bad place to be just generally, you yeah. know, against arm locks, triangles, leg locks, whatever. Do you have so, any MMA guys at your gym? Um, no, no, we're so specialized. We don't have, we don't have any striking classes no cardio kickboxing no yoga no weights i mean we, we, and we, we get calls about that a lot they go you guys 
is do anything else. You do this, do that. We just do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Gi, no gi. That's all we do. Because of that, I've actually turned MMA guys, not away, but I've made recommendations that they go to a place that actually focuses on that if they really do want to do MMA in a serious way. Oh, that's... That's really interesting. That's very professional of you because like you're saying- It's not what we do. It's, yeah. not, it's not, you know, we're grappling specialists. That's not what we do. And you're not even interested in, in maybe dipping into that. Like if some guy comes in and is like, hey, you know, I also do striking. Are you interested mm -hmm. in having me, uh, you know, have a striking class? Is that even anything you would entertain? I wouldn't close the door to it, but like at the current moment, it's just not interesting to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's just like, I think that's one of the first things that happens with some people is just they just start saying, oh, well, let's do it all, you know? I think if you really, if you really want to do MMA, like if you're very serious about it and you're like, you know what, I want to be a professional fighter. I just, I don't think just geographically, geographically where I am, I don't think Cleveland is the place for you. I think that you should move to, you know, one of the big MMA cities, I don't even know what they are. I don't really, I haven't followed MMA in the same way. Uh, but you know, Las Vegas used to be a big one, you know, move to Vegas, get with a serious camp. It's just not for me, but so I'll we'll just, I'll just kind of end it at that. I feel like I've got the, the school and the, the students and the training partners and the skill set to get people to very, very, very high levels in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And I don't feel like I have that for MMA. So I just leave it alone, you mm -hmm. know? So just in terms of, uh, new school and old school, you don't you don't think either one is the better school you just it's all good there certainly is a better school but it's based on your individual goals i've always sort of been like a like a, a balanced proponent where when i show a position like i always will do my best to caveat what this position is 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 best for what it's not best for but if i have a student who's you know interested in more in self defense or if they're interested in a grappling rule set that revolves around mixed martial arts, obviously old school is going to be a little bit better for them. And then if I have people who are IBJJF competitors, uh, which I, I would say at this point, I have much more of that than the other, then a more cutting edge, more modern style is going to be, it's just going to make more sense for them. Mm. You know? So yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a bit, there is a better, it's just, it's just based on what your goals are. Okay. So um, what's the next question? Well, I think it was the big one about uh, uh, basically like long-term training methodology. Okay. You know? um, Cause we've talked, we've talked a lot about like short-term, like basically what happens like in a class, like how do you structure a class? How do you structure a week? I feel like we've talked a lot about that. Yeah. And I thought I've, I felt I learned a lot uh, during those classes okay. or those, those classes. I call them classes during those episodes. Uh, <laughs> Cause I was learning stuff. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great, that's a great slip, man. Yeah, I know. Right. I'm getting, I'm getting personals right now. Um, so um, yeah, we've talked a lot about that uh, class structure and stuff like that, but yeah, like long-term longevity. I like to look at this from um, an older student perspective. Sure. I'm 47. Sure. Like I mentioned before, I'm going to be 48 this year, but like I'm, um, you know, one, at least for myself, the way I look at it, especially with training, I've already mentioned a little bit about it. I like to, do I have my intense moments? Yeah. I'm going to roll with that blue belt. I know he's 25 and an animal. Uh, I gotta be, I gotta mind my P's and Q's with that guy. I'm going to go full blast with that guy. That white ball over there, he's nice. He's new. I'm I'm gonna go nice and light, you know. And I'm gonna just make sure that I don't get hurt, and he doesn't get hurt. 
maybe even if they get into a blue belt, sometimes I'm still I feel still feel like okay, he's 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 got to settle down a little bit. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna ride this one out. Maybe just play good bottom and let him not hurt himself. Okay. Is sure. that is that a strategy that you recommend? Like, okay, pick my guys, make sure that I, I know what I'm doing with who. And I might say mm-hmm. no to some people. As an older practitioner, I might say, oh, okay. I'm not going to roll with that guy because he's nuts. You know, and uh, I, last time I rolled with him, he he bought me in the face and I got a bruise and I'm walking around with a bruise. Uh, is that sure. a strategy Understood. I should be employing or is that something that you don't recommend? <laughs> What is, what is um, your viewpoint just in terms okay. of the older student and longevity? Okay. Well, this is, um, I think, okay, so I would start just by saying your specific example. I think, I think that's interesting and useful in the context of how am I going to train today mm. or how am I going to train uh, this week or, yeah. you know, what I've been focused on a lot more lately is how am I going to train this year? So like, how is this year going to lay out for me? So let me explain the thing about jujitsu. There's two main points here that are going to inform the rest of the conversation. Number one, most jujitsu athletes train like absolute morons. (laughs) And, and I, and I, and and I want to, I would like to include myself uh, in that, because for, for most of the years I've been training, I also trained like an absolute moron in terms of the long-term arc. Okay. The course of a year, the course of multiple years, I train like a fool. That's point number one. Mm-hmm. Point number two, jujitsu is one of the few sports that is highly unregulated by coaching and has no off season. Okay, again, highly unregulated by coaching and has no off-season. If you play football in high school, college, professional, it is highly regulated by coaches and you have an off-season. Okay. Jiu-Jitsu, I try to do my best to regulate through coaching, um, but it, it, the dynamic is different because they're paying me, right? It's not that they're just volunteering to be there. That's the first thing. And the second thing is jujitsu guys train year round like morons and there's no off season. Okay. So that's, that's, this is like, like, these are the two main bullet points that are going to inform the rest of this conversation. So maybe just questions on that so far. So, okay, let's, let's define (laughs) the whole unregulated by coaching. Sure. I'm not, I'm not understanding the concept. What, what do you mean exactly by that? So if I have, if I say I have a purple belt and I say, Hey, I uh, want you working on X, Y, and Z this week. And then I walk by and he's working on A, B, and C instead of X, Y, and Z. At a certain point, a coach, uh, you know, on a, uh, on a professional sports team is, it's just going to kick the guy off the team. Right. Oh, wow. I mean, or fine him if it's a, you know, if it's a professional football team or something, but they're like, they're going to be some hard lines and hard consequences for not working on the things that your coach tells you to work on. But because of the, because, because of the unique business model of, of jujitsu, where like the athletes are actually like paying the coaches to be there. Like there is like with certain people, you can take a firm hand with other people. You feel like maybe you can't because uh, you know, whatever the nature of the relationship. Yeah. So that so that's why I'm saying like there is no hard coach to athlete regulation in jujitsu, at least at my school, the same way. 
maybe, maybe one day that'll change. But, but for now, like th- that's where my school is. And honestly, that's probably where almost every school is at this point. So you then know? how do you get, um, I mean, not to stay on, cause I do want to define, um, the, these two ideas, the unregulated coaching and no, no, uh, off season, but right. in terms of like unregulated coaching. So how do you, how do you, uh, discipline that person? How do you reprimand that person? Especially when I they're, paying, you know, yeah. like if they don't no. want to do what you ask them to do, you right. can't kick, do you, can you even threaten to kick them out of the school? I mean, you, I, I mean, I could do anything I want, I suppose, but like, but the way I, the way I look at it is like, if I say, Hey, I think this is what you need to be working on. And then I just, I notice the person isn't doing that. Well, like, okay. Then that's just kind of where you are mentally right now. And my attention is going to go to people who are going to take my advice. Mm. And it's really that simple, you know, and it's, again, it's not spiteful. It's not, there's no, there's no malice behind it. It's just, I'm just going to go where I'm the most effective. And if you're not listening to me, to listen to my recommendations, then I'm probably not, we're not having an effective interaction. So yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go where I'm effective. Yeah. You know, that's how I look at it. I'm not emotional about it. It's just, that's just what I do. That makes sense <laughs> to me. I mean, you don't have any other recourse and the student, at least as a student and like some of the things I talked about, they want your attention. You know, they want, mm-hmm. you sure. know, for, for various reasons, for all the things that I mentioned, like, oh, they, you know, they, they may, they want to be part of the inner circle. They want to be part of the cool kids, but maybe also like, yeah, they want the, the secret sauce that you're handing out there. Like, oh, he's got this special move that, or he's going to share little details that's going to make my, my, my stuff better. He may not do that if I don't listen, you know, sure. uh, yeah, and if they're fair. smart or even <laughs> or at the very least instinctually, they're going to want that from you. So they should, they should be listening, you know? But I think even, even let's, you could even set aside the unregulated coaching part because like you can clearly see that that is a complicated conversation. Okay. So you maybe even simplify the whole thing and just take that piece out and just say that jujitsu has no off season. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So what? Well, so <laughs> Okay, a couple of things. First, I, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna have to talk about this like in the context of of my school because my school is I mean every school is different. What I'm trying to do is I'm really not super interested in producing like 20 year old adult black belt world champions. I'm not super interested in that mostly because those athletes they go to the East Coast or the West Coast. You know, and now maybe Austin, Texas, because Donahue's down there. But like, but they're 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 really not in Cleveland, Ohio, most of the time. Okay, so I kind of have to accept that geographic reality. That's one thing. But also, if you look at the pro athletes that are retiring into like the masters divisions now, like Masters One, you know, it's not like a really necessarily a pretty story. You wonder what these people's lives are going to look like in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And it might not necessarily be like a super happy ending. A lot of glory in your early 20s, but maybe maybe not so much when you're in your, your 30s and 40s. The thing that interests me the most is training people to be able to do jujitsu at a, at a pretty high level, maybe not the highest level, but a pretty high level for a very, very long period of time. So just as an example, if I could have an athlete who does jujitsu from the age of 20 years old all the way to the age of 55 or 60 years old 
and they can do that and they can win some regional and some national tournaments in their age divisions. Like, I think that is really something, you know, you're giving somebody like a lot of good years, a lot of good memories. You're getting them to like a very high skill level, but you're also not really running them through the meat grinder that maybe some like very young jujitsu athletes are, go- are going to be run through. So Am I making a, sense so far? Yeah, no, absolutely. And so okay. like, what are the, what are some of those not pretty stories that you're talking about? Like, so they get, I don't want to, get... I, I don't want to single anybody out, but there, mm-hmm. there, there are certain pro- professional, you know, jujitsu guys who are aging out of the adult divisions and you kind of look at them and go like, you know, what, like what skill, like what skills do you have? You know, like maybe, maybe your English isn't so good and you have a really hard time instructing in the U S or maybe you're just not a good instructor at all, but you are, you are an outstanding athlete and competitor. So like, what skills do you have? Do you have people skills? You know, a lot of the high level guys that I've met do not have people skills. You know, are you a good instructor? A lot of the high level guys, uh, you know, as, as outstanding as they were as competitors, they're not very good instructors. Are you a good business person? No. Do you have any marketable business skills? No. So, it's just, you know, it doesn't look pretty for those guys. And I never wanted to take anybody young and then sort of put them through the professional grappling meat grinder. And then when they're 35 go, well, best of luck to you. You know, I I don't, uh, I'm not like sold on that. I just, that's kind of the sense that I've had, like since I've, since I've owned the school. So uh, on the other hand, like if I have 30, 35, 40 year old black belt or black belts who are like, going to regional IBJJFs, going to American nationals, going to masters worlds. And they're, um, they're making the podium, you know, like those people still have well-balanced lives. You know, they've still got a lot of other things going on, but like, damn, like they're also, you know, competing at a very, not the highest, but like a very high level. And I just, I kind of think that's for me right now where I am, it's 2023. That, that for me is the balance. That's what I like. Mm, That's interesting. That's a really interesting, uh, perspective because i feel i feel like especially at least and and this might be my perspective it may not be actually the truth because i felt like there's there's no middle ground like the the middle ground that you're describing you can have both but you just got this is very middle ground yeah yeah it's very middle ground yeah you can have both but they're not going to be at extremes you can have a good life have the wife have the kids have the job and be a black belt but you know, you don't have to be in a situation where everything's turned up to all the way up to the highest volume. Can I've, I tell a story real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. It's it's very short. And I think I've told on the podcast before, but like, I didn't always have this perspective. I had like a moment in my life that I'll never forget where it almost sounded like a clicking sound in my head. The light bulb went on so hard. Okay. Huh. Uh, I want, and I'm, I won't put this person on blast, but we had a really good black belt come in near world-class or world-class adult black belt trained with us just smoked all of us guy was fantastic right and we were just kind of like we're just kind of sitting after class and we were we were making small talk and it was just me and him everybody else kind of cleared out and this dude his fingers are all bandaged up and his hair's in his face and he's sweaty and he just like just looks like a badass you know what i mean i was like man and i'm looking at this guy and he's you know he's going to be leaving Cleveland and then he's going to be going to Europe and, you know, doing a seminar tour and do jujitsu. And, you know, I'm like, I'm looking at this guy going like, man, dude, that's so, that's so sick. You know, yeah. like, God damn, that's so sick. 
I'm, and I'm looking at him thinking this and he, you know, he's talking and then he stops talking and he like looks around my gym and he goes, so he goes, do you, he goes, do you make a pretty good living doing this? And I go, I mean, I go, yeah, I go for sure. Yeah, it's, it's good. And he goes, and you think like, you think so like opening up a school, he's like, you think that's like, that's realistic life path. And I'm thinking like for this guy, yeah, you know, I mean, or maybe, I don't know, maybe he's not a great business person who knows. Yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, he goes, man, he goes, you're living the dream, dude. And I was like, whoa, that was the light bulb moment. I was like, oh my God, I'm looking at this guy thinking he's living the dream, you know? I'm some like lame the time I'm like 36, whatever, so, you know, I'm like a family man, <laughs> like, you know, I'm running my school and like, you know, I've got other little hobbies outside of jujitsu and I'm thinking, I'm thinking like this dude's the man, you know? Yeah. And then he, and then he says to me, he goes, he looks at me, he goes, bro, you're living the dream. And I'm like, dude, you're living the dream. And he's like, oh, you're living. And it was just like a funny thing, but it was like, it was the most clear manifestation of the grass is always greener on the other side, you know? And that's when, that's when I realized like, look, like this is already awesome. So like, why not just take a balanced approach and like train people for like regional to like low tier world level, you know, balance and, yeah. and, and get, and get some 35, 40 year old, 45 year old guys to the podiums of big tournaments and give people like great skills and great life experience, but his stuff's in balance. I apologize if I've told that on the podcast before, but like, no, you've was, never, like, you've never told the story before. No. Oh, never... Okay. Okay. For me, that was like, that was like a very central moment in my life when I had that conversation. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was powerful. I will say that at one point, I mean, and I think, I think a lot of people, you know, when they start jujitsu, especially fantasize, oh, maybe one day I could be a black belt and I can open up my own school. And I will say that having taught a little bit myself, I don't know if I have the long-term patience for it. I might have it for short blasts yeah, here sure. and there, sure. but to, to have, to be a good instructor, I don't want to just be an okay instructor. I would have to, I would really want to work on a lot of, a lot of other things as well as like just the coaching aspect of it and all that. But yeah, I mean, how many guys romanticize some of these things you're talking about? But yeah, like I'll admit, man, when I went to your school and I saw the school and I was like, this is badass. I remember thinking like, this is, this is the dream. You know, this is the dream. What you got for okay. real It is the dream. Thanks, and like, yeah. it's a beautiful school. You got great students. You're a good coach. It's like, it's what people want, you know, but I could also see like, oh, you know, traveling the world. You know, teaching jujitsu. How sexy it's, is that? It's, right? Yeah, yeah. It, and and I mean, I'm trying. I it's I'm grateful, and it and it is the dream. But then also sometimes it's just work. And somebody uh, clogged the toilet in the bathroom, <laughs> and I got to go plunge it because I'm the guy. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And when I'm in when I'm in there, and I got my sand my sandals on, and I'm trying not to splash toilet water under my feet, and I'm plunging the toilet. And I'm wiping everything down. Like that's the moment where you don't want like a new student to walk in and like see the black belt, like bros living the dream. <laughs> you know, it's, so sometimes it, you know it, it often is just work. But yeah. dude, I took us way off track. No, nah, dude, <laughs> no, nah, no, nah, dude. I love, I love that story because I mean, you're talking about some of the realities, right? And uh, we see these things on TV, right? But that's because that's easy for us to access. We watch it on TV and we hear about these people. But then like, 
you don't hear about the guy who's doing really well just running the school you know just yeah, yeah giving sure. people giving people the things the experiences you're talking about you know and having this good life balance right uh, dude I, I, res- I, I have a lot of respect for the professionals uh clearly I you know I couldn't cut it at that level I competed at adult black belt until I was well into my late 30s and by the end of it it was just clear that I was not at that level that's that's okay I have a tremendous amount of respect for those guys but also you know as as sort of like average guys let's just say we see like we see their Instagram photos we see the podium photos we see the the well manicured uh, timeline but you I suppose when those guys are on tour doing seminars like you don't see the lonely nights at the hotel and you don't see the no girlfriend or no wife or whatever, because you can't sustain a relationship because you're always going around, you know, you don't see those things and that, yeah. And and that conversation that I had just sort of like really, really informed that. And like, I carry that conversation to all aspects of my life. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? I think about that uh, all the time. Anytime I'm tired of something I have going, I just always go back to that conversation. It's like the grass is truly really always greener on the other side every single time. Right. You know, so. no, for sure. So, and, and is that what you were going to say? Like, is that the the non pretty? No, I I I derailed the shit out of us. So no, no, not at all. I think that that is that is absolutely like pertinent to just the, the conversation in general, just the long terms. Because I mean, you're, you're talking about not only you you went from not only just talking about being healthy, but also having a good life, right? I having, I mean, yeah. What's what what is what's the point if you don't have a good life? You know. I mean, it's, I've had students like young students, like get jobs, get girlfriends, and then they start coming to class less. And it seems like they feel guilty about it. Yeah. And I, I've had the conversation multiple times with multiple people. Like there's nothing wrong with like getting a job, falling in love, having a slightly more balanced life and coming to jujitsu one time less per week. Like yeah. if you're coming, if you're coming to me with like a guilty attitude about that, like you're coming to the wrong guy because I'm not criticizing you for it. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the interest of my AirPod, uh, uh, my AirPod battery life, let me, let me actually, <laughs> let me, let me actually get to like what, what, what we were on track there. So jujitsu has no off season, right? No off season. So, so let's just, t- again, let's be specific because everybody's different. Let's just take like your average 35, a 40 year old that's pretty core demographic for jujitsu schools let you know what let's even take let's say let's say that this would scale for really anybody between 20 and 40 20 and 50 because i actually truly believe that jujitsu has no off season okay so what well it's january okay so what does your average person do january through january what do they do um you know they they come in they take the classes and then when it comes time to spar it's it's wartime. I mean, you just you you know you're 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 sparring hard. Yeah, oh, did you spar hard today? Yeah. Oh, dude, you tapped that guy. Yeah, I got him. He got me last week, but I got him this week. Oh, okay, good. You know, so and then you just sort of do this. You maybe you go through a curriculum cycle where you're learning new stuff, and and, and then maybe you have competition sprinkled throughout. But like the training volume and the training intensity, it doesn't change from month to month or quarter to quarter throughout the year. I'm looking at the whole year. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think all people, and I've introduced this into my training regimen throughout the past couple of years, and I'm just continuing to layer it in more and more because of how well it's working for me. 
training should be periodized. Okay. It should be periodized throughout the year. People accept this for all other sports. People accept it for things like weightlifting. It seems like it's never really app- applied broadly to jujitsu. So I think let's take your typical year. So if it's January, okay. Competition season really doesn't pop off until March, April, May, like springtime. Okay. Late, like late winter, early spring. So I think the focus in January, February, and March should be should be scaled to the strength and conditioning and a heavy emphasis on skill development. Okay. A lot of taking classes, a lot of positional training, and positional training that's going to be like light to moderate. So for three months, in an ideal world, you're very rarely sparring at redline if at all, for three months. Go ahead and suggest this to your average jiu-jitsu guy. You're not going to spar hard or at all for three months. They're going to tell you, go fuck yourself. (laughs) That's what they're going to do. Uh Okay. But I propose that let's say you have a competition on April 1st. Okay. It's January 1st. You have a competition. You've got January, February, March. So you've got three months until this competition. I think you start with, again, maybe and you could you could break this up so many different ways. But in January, you're going to put a very heavy emphasis on this is your off season and you're building your body up. You're doing strength work. You're doing conditioning work, uh, hypertrophy work to put on some muscle mass maybe. Um, and then you're like, well, I can't do two a days. You can't do two a days if you're a competitive meathead. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you, you can do two a days if you do strength training or conditioning really hard in the morning and then do jujitsu in a non-competitive skill building way at night. Just as an example, that's my that's my Monday split. I do a hard lift Monday morning and then usually Monday night, like, you know, during this phase would be like a skill building night where I'm going to drill, I'm going to take a class. And then the only hard, hard training I'm going to do, I'm not going to do any hard training. It's going to be all light to moderate, maybe moderate but mm-hmm. I'm not going to roll hard or I'm going to roll super defensively and get tapped four five, six times. Like, cause I am not going to fight any position with strength or speed. Okay. It's just going to okay. be all skill building. So we build skill and we build the body in January. Okay. Half of February, we kind of do the same thing. Midway through February, you start to layer back in some harder positional stuff. Maybe some, maybe some harder rounds. Okay. March, early March, mid-March, late March, you continue to layer in harder jujitsu, harder sports specific. And, and then we're starting to phase out the strength and the speed and the conditioning. Okay. So it's like, it's like a blend, you know, mm. January, January to mid-February, heavy emphasis. This blend is going to be very heavy emphasis on strength training, conditioning, lighter emphasis on the hard, harder parts of jujitsu, but you're just building skill, building skill, building skill. And then, of course, by a week to two weeks out from your competition, you're really not doing any more strength and conditioning. You're really not doing a whole lot of that. You're still doing your skill work, but now you're starting to layer in like some very hard sparring, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you have your competition, and then depending on when your next competition is, you start the cycle over. You start it again, okay? There's a lot more to go into there, but I think that it's probably a good place to stop and just throw it back to you. So um, I have questions for you. 
uh, you as a coach, are you are you doing this with the class or are you asking your students to like you're giving this advice to your students and you're telling them this is this is what you're thinking. I'm going to run class. I'm going to run. But, you know, you manage how you're going to behave or, or perform, I should say, in class. Uh, yeah. or, or do you manage that for them? I think the, I think the best thing that I can do at this at this point in my career is make that recommendation to people, which is actually what I'm doing right now. So, um, you know, I think, I think, um, I'm hoping that some people listen to this podcast and the thing is like, again, we, we just, we just have such like a, just, we have such a big student population. We, everybody's got different goals, different life circumstances that they're going to have to take this broad recommendation and then apply it to however it is that, that they train. So like some people don't compete. Right. Yeah. Like a lot of people, really, most people don't compete. So they're going, well, I don't have a competition to periodize around. Like, what do I do to you? I would say like, pick a date. Okay. Like you, what you need to do is you need to create a trough and a peak cycle for yourself around arbitrary dates. So you, if you want to start in January, that's fine. Um, but, but, but give it a try. Like try, try to periodize your training, say, okay, like in January, it's going to be all about building skills. I am not going to get injured. I'm not going to beat up my body. I'm going to do a ton of strength, ton of condition jujitsu is just going to be all about skill. I'm not going to be competitive. I'm not going to spar hard. And then just take that gradient. And just, like I said, just, it's just as say April 1st approaches, just scale certain things back and then introduce other things. And then have like a have a have a two week period where you're really peaking and you're going really hard. I think if people do that, they're gonna they're gonna have an experience of beating people that they weren't beating before. In when they get to their peak phase, you know, mm-hmm. like you're gonna roll around, back around to that that purple belt that you're always having a really hard time with, and I think you're probably gonna crush that guy. Mm. But it is a three month investment you have to make to make that jump, and I think for for most people they're just not patient enough. So how often would you say you need to do that a year? You're saying you're looking at this at the at a year. You're saying you, you want someone to be peaking twice a year, three times a year, uh, five five times a year too much, not enough. Like what? It's highly individual, and it's like it's very much based on your schedule. So I just competed this past weekend at the, mm-hmm. at the Dallas Open, and I had a it, it wasn't periodized perfectly in this way, but I had a multi-week lead up where I did what I just described. Okay. Like to, to, to an extent. Mm -hmm. And again, this is still something like I'm trying to integrate in a way that works for me. Like that. I understand this is still, this is, this concept is still new. It's still, it's like a year or two new. My next competition is going to be Nashville. I want to say that is check my calendar real quick. Cause actually it's pertinent to the conversation. Nashville IBJJF is going to be, I, I, I don't have the date on my calendar, but I think it's, I think it's mid to late April. Okay. So I already talked to my trainer. I already gave him the dates and that's what we're going to do now. Like I just competed. So I went into practice Monday night and I, it was just all about super flow roll. I got tapped by everybody, you know, and it was just all about reps and building skill. That's what it was all about. And, and again, I'm just going to take that phase all the way to mid April and I'm going to peak, you know, uh, I'm going to peak at that competition and, and, and then I'm going to start the cycle again. So it's early March, uh, April. Right. So you're, you're talking mid April. So you got a month and a half 
to peak. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. say five weeks. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, so, so yeah. So this week again, it's all, it's all been skill. Uh, I have done, it'll be once the week is over, I'll have done five strength and conditioning sessions this week. I've done a couple light jujitsu sessions. And again, I'm just going to take that, take that, take that training cycle all the way to the, to the comp. And by competition week, I will not be doing any serious strength and conditioning. It'll be all, you know, moderate to high, high jujitsu. Yeah. And so when do you, when do you start the hard sparring or do you just kind of slowly kind of ease into it? Mm -hmm. Do you, do you say, okay, yeah. uh, one month out hard sparring, boom. It's, it's, it's really best to like, it's really best to like lay it, lay it out on a calendar because that's the, that's the easiest way. Like you can quantify everything. I mean, you can literally like, you can like do it by the numbers. Like, you know, I'm going to spar X amount of times per week. And in that sparring, X amount of it is going to be positional. And then X amount of it is just going to be open, just regular sparring. Hmm. But I would say two weeks out from competition that, you know, I'm hitting it really, really hard. The sec the second to last week out. And then the week of competition, I'm still going to be sparring hard. The intensity is going to stay really high, but the volume is going to come down. So meaning I'm still going to spar really hard, but maybe I'm only going to hit three rounds. Maybe yeah. I'm only going to hit two rounds, you know, mm -hmm. that's uh, that I think I really think that's how to do it. Yeah, no, that's, that's how I knew uh, to do it when I was fighting way back when that's exactly how kind of we did it. It was like, oh, we, okay. yeah, the running got shorter, uh, the, the, but more intense, you had to run faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the sparring got really heavy and, uh, we were going full blast close to, you know, as close to 100% without getting hurt. Um, yeah, sure. But that was going to be my next question. What do you do to avoid injury or to minimize an injury, especially when you're sparring hard? You're going, you're, 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 you're being explosive. You're trying, you're, you're trying to submit the person. You're going hard, yeah. but you also don't yeah. want to like twist anything, hurt yourself or hurt the partner. What are you trying to be cognizant of while you're in that headspace, while you're sparring hard? It's interesting. I mean, you have like you have to balance being intense and let's just say it well intense and competitive with being safe, especially during those last two weeks. I think that this is like old jujitsu speak, but I think the problem is like having an ego. I'll maybe define that a little more specifically. You know, you, you have like a, you have a gym rival and you, and I think I could probably speak for all guys when, when you have this, when you say that you have this thought, like, I don't want this guy to think he's better than me. You know, I don't want him to walk, out of this room and think that he got me and that he can get me like you you know you have that primal part of your brain that thinks that yeah um and you have to be an adult and just shut that off for two weeks you know or three weeks or, or whatever your peak phase is like you got to shut it off like we don't give a shit that your buddy in the training room thinks he's better than you this week yeah you very much give a shit that you perform optimally during your match without having something tweaked like that, you know, and, and if you want to take that risk, that's the time to take the risk because you've made this massive investment for that event. So if you're going to, if you're going to let something, if you're going to be an idiot and let something pop or you're going to pass out, like say, just and save it for the comp. You yeah. Know? That's a really, okay. So I think something that uh, you said there really clicked 
It's not so much about the ego. You hear about that a lot, right? Oh, let the ego go, right? But the focus should be uh, intensity, the skill building, the the performing well. I think I think if you can, it's a, train, it's a training room. Yeah. yeah, it's a training room. Yeah. I think I think that's that's not said enough. We hear we hear oh leave the ego at the door. We hear that a lot, especially yeah. in jujitsu. That is, it almost stops like meaning anything. You hear it so much. It exactly. Loses meaning. Exactly. That's why I think uh, you saying it's about performance is more important than than that phrase because that phrase doesn't really even like you're saying doesn't mean much because it's, it's been said so much. It's a meme at yeah. this point. It the is skill yeah. building. The 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 performance I think really needs to be highlighted. I think that's something that you said that is very important, and I think people are not understanding that because you do come in and you do want to win. But that's not the important part. Winning is not important. The performance is, you know, uh, sure. you got tapped. Sure. Did you do the things you wanted to do? Did you perform well? You know, how did he catch you? Like, those are the things that matter, right? I, I mean, from what you're saying, I, I just want to reemphasize yeah. that because I think, yeah. I think it's not, it's not said enough, you know, like. Well, la- la- last January, I injured myself for the last time. I mean, I, I can say with confidence, I might get injured again. Mm-hmm. but I will not injure myself again. So <clears throat> I was rolling with one of our brown belts. It was no gi. It was tough, it's a tough guy. Very, like very, very durable, very difficult to score and very difficult, difficult to tap. I, um, I reaped his knee. He turned away from it and I transitioned into like a, like a bear trap style calf slicer mm-hmm. where he's certainly in a compromised position. I almost have, I, I have him in a submission. Now I'm just trying to finish it. <clears throat> I configure my legs in a way that I recognize in the moment as unsafe. I go, I know that my, I know that my knee is in an unsafe position right now, but then another part of my brain goes, dude, this guy's so hard to tap. Like I gotta, I gotta tap this guy. I want to yeah. tap this guy so bad. <laughs> so I, I follow him into a knowingly dangerous position. He explodes out and mm. my LCL, my LCL pops like, like it sounded like a branch breaking. Okay. And I was so mad at myself, Mm -hmm. you know, because, because, because I'm I'm sitting there going, what would I pay to go back in time and undo that moment? What would I pay? You know? And the truth is like, I didn't have to pay anything. It would have been free if I would have just, if I would have just had, just had the wherewithal to go, Hey man, uh, can we stop? You know, I don't even have to tap, you know, I have him in the submission. I could have just said, dude, I, I'm in a funky spot here. Let's just, no, no, no. I wanted to, I wanted to check him. You know what I mean? I wanted to tap, to tap him out. And so I had an opportunity to not be on the shelf for eight months. And I just, I just passed on it because I just really wanted to tap this guy. Yeah. You know, I'll never do that again. That's, I, that's really refreshing for you to say this exactly because i mean it's nice to know that the black belt has the same thoughts that we do just like I, I, I gotta win i gotta win i gotta tap this guy and then you hurt yourself and you're like god damn it dude everybody wants to be everybody wants to be the baddest guy in the gym and yeah. you and, and anytime you have an opportunity to prove that you might be everybody wants to take it yeah, you know? yeah. And, and, and by the way sometimes you should you know like mm. that's what i'm saying like there's a time for that but you shouldn't like you shouldn't sacrifice your body for it yeah, you know, you can if you want, but then to just enjoy taking like cumulatively, 
years off of jujitsu. You're gonna be off. You're gonna be off of jujitsu for. I mean, dude, if I could total up all my injury time, all the times I hurt myself, myself. I mean, it's it, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, it could be years. Um, I've had my nose broken. I've had my ribs broken. Those don't. I never sit around and say, "Oh, I wish I could turn back time and fix that stuff." My nose is a pain right. in the ass. It's, I, I broke it. I can't breathe from one yeah. side. If I sleep a certain way, I can't breathe at all. Uh, that doesn't bother me. I wear like a badge of honor, even though you can't really tell that it's broken. But I've broken sure. it. I've broken it four times or whatever. Anyway, uh, none of that really bothers me. The injuries that I had that I wish I can revert are are I had an Achilles tendon tear. And I had a perineal tear, both from martial arts. Okay. And okay. and there isn't there isn't a moment I wish I could undo those. That sure. and, and the and and because I hurt myself on those. Yes, you hurt uh, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hurt myself. I was just kicking, and I I could have done a better job kicking. I put my foot down, and it pops right. Sure. Um, sure. <clears throat> yeah, and I 100% agree with you. I wish I could undo that, and there's nothing I can do to undo it. Uh, and the, the foot's not the same, you know, at least, you know, right, I, right. I can't, there's certain things I can't really do with it. Uh, but it's, it's not nearly as bad as it was way, way back when, but yeah, I mean, I was out with that Achilles tendon tear. I was out for a year. Right. And then it took me, like, it took me a year to walk normally. And mm. then it took another like year before I can kick hard, like really hard, like normal okay. with it. That's two years. You know, yeah. I'm fascinated yeah. to see that some of these guys, they'll bust something in the UFC or in, on the football field or something, and they're back in six months. I'm like, how the hell are you doing that? I mean, I think- Well, steroids, we, we, steroids and yeah. cortisone and yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, sure. they have all the all the access to that stuff. But. <laughs> I just think that I think that people, uh, just jujitsu athletes generally, spend too much time t like tearing the body down and too little time building the body up. I think that's probably like, probably how you should look at it and young people will hear this and be like man you know these guys when they get older like they just don't want to roll hard anymore like no i am hooked i'm addicted to rolling hard i yeah. love rolling hard yeah. if if somehow like my shoulders and my knees wouldn't get completely torn apart i would just roll hard every day because that's the most fun thing to do yeah but i try to explain to these guys like what's the most fun thing to do is it to roll hard maybe not the most fun thing to do is to roll hard and fuck everybody up. That is the most fun thing to do, right? Mm. The best way to get to a place where you can do that to everybody, I think, is to periodize your training like this over a very, very long period of time. You know, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. But like you start talking to people about, about timelines and decades and they just, they tune out. You know what I mean? But like, I, I just, I just wish, dude, I wish that I had, instead of tearing my body down with weight cuts and insane sparring between the ages of 20 and 30, I wish that I would have built more skill and built my body up between the ages of 20 and 30. Now I'm, I'm doing that project now, but mm. I'm going to be four, I'm going to be 40 in June, you know? Ooh. So it's like, it would, it would have been, it would have been better, you know, having started that project a decade ago. Yeah. You know? Well, everybody's I mean, going to be 40 one day, you know, it's, yeah. it's, you're going to get there. And like, guess what? You still want to train hard and you still want to compete and you still want to spar hard when you're 40. So like make the investment. That's all I'm saying. You know? So, um, you personally, what does it look like? Oh, 
once you get to 40, what are you thinking you're going to be doing? Are you going to, are you going to continue to spar? Are you, uh, are you going to continue to compete hard? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You see yourself uh, maybe slowing down at one point, maybe, uh, maybe when I get to 45, I'll, I'll slow down. Or maybe I get to 50, I slow down. Or are you just going to be going hard for as long as you can, you can or, or doing, I shouldn't say hard, but going like you're going for as long as forever. Like, um, I've always, I, I've always made this like half joke, half not joke that, that I would like to, um, I would like to just drop dead on the IBJJF mat one day, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of where I want to go. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, but no, I mean, it's kind of a joke. It's kind of not, but I don't, um, I'm trying to take a slightly more open-minded approach as I, as I keep going here. Um, I still very much like. I feel like I haven't even started competing yet. You know wow. what I mean? Like I, yeah. I feel like, I feel like there's so much more I want to do in terms of like making memory in terms of like having good performances in terms of like building like a lifetime highlight reel. Like there's so much more I want to do. Um, I feel like um, probably only because I was training suboptimally earlier in my life. I feel like I'm peaking now. I'm not, I'm not saying that 40 year olds are, you know, that people peak at 40. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is just given the choices I've made, I feel like I'm operating, I'm operating at like an optimal level now. And I think I can probably build on that for several more years. I also think given my career choice that I would be open to having some sort of pharmacological help with testosterone <laughs> or, or growth I, i'm not I'm, i haven't yet but i'm i'm open-minded to that at 45 50 55 you know yeah. just given what i do for what i do for a living that's kind of, that that's how i look at things right now i dude i i feel like i'm i feel like i'm 20 years old you know what i mean in every way and it's a blessing and a curse you know it's yeah. it's just it's that's kind of where i'm at so that's awesome dude that's awesome that you're that you feel like you're 20 years old uh, I feel like I still think like 20, but I definitely, my body definitely doesn't feel that way. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, probably think that way. Um, really immature sometimes, but <laughs> yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. So you, you see yourself, you're going to, you're just going to keep going. I mean, if I had to give you a window, I'd say the next five years are probably going to look very much the same. Yeah. I, I think I'm, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, I'll be honest. Uh, I th- I feel like I feel like once I get past thirty five, you 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 feel the you feel the dip in some of your kind of uh, abilities. You know, you're not as strong, you're sure, not as fast. Sure. There's a few. There's a little bit of that, but I don't feel that it changes much once once you get to uh, so long as you you continue to like practice and stuff. But yeah, my main concern, is, at least for me, uh, and right now at this moment. Cause I do want to compete this year, but uh, my main concern right now would be to uh, continue practicing for as long as I can. Uh, but also like, I just don't want to get hurt. That's, I don't want to, cause yeah. every time I hear something pop, I'm like, Ooh, is that surgery? No, that's yeah. not surgery. That's, that's cool. I don't how many, that. how many days a week are you doing jujitsu? What's the word? I, I don't have it set in stone. Uh, I'll go, I'll go like the last couple of weeks. I went four times. This week, oh, well, I only well. went, I've only gone once. And if I get lucky, I might be able to go again later this week. Mm. And it just, you know, like you're saying, like life is just kicking my ass sometimes, you know, like, uh, yeah, sure. and it, and it, 
drives me nuts. But like there, there has been days, there's been weeks where I've gone four, you know, four or five times a week. But this, uh, that's but that's that's not true for myself this week. You know, last mm-hmm. week I was there four times. I went twice one day, and then I went again like a Thursday, and then again Saturday, and I went Monday. So I was able to like, I want to be there as much as as I can. And then right mm-hmm. now I've only been there once, and it's freaking driving me nuts. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Because I, I like I, we talked, you know, my daughter has a recital uh, today. Yeah, so right, right. She had too much homework yesterday. I couldn't go anywhere, so I had to stay home and watch her while my wife was at work. You know, there's not there's only so much of that I can do. But the cool thing is, is that the school that I'm at, they have um, afternoon classes on Tuesdays and nice. Thursdays, and I try nice. to take advantage of those. Those are awesome. Um, but yeah, uh, I wish I could come. I wish I can uh, be there more often, but you know, got to pay the bills too. Yeah, no, I got it. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> yeah, like I said, everybody's just they, you know, everybody's just on a different schedule. They get different social lives, family lives, uh, ages, bodies. I mean, just all of it. You know, um, yeah, I, I just kind of just do what you can. You know, and and you know, yeah, better for worse. Just do what you can. Yeah, the, the, the periodizing stuff, it's intentionally broad. It's intentionally like general and vague because again, I mean, it's just going to vary from person to person. You know, if you compete a lot, like those periodization windows are going to be shorter because you have, you have more peak points throughout the year. If you have eight competitions throughout the year, you have eight peak points. If you have two competitions throughout the year, yeah, just everything changes, you know? Um, but I, I think I, I really, I really hope that, that, if I have students listening to this, they, they consider doing that, you know, but it comes with a price. I mean, it comes with, you know, like it requires a lot of discipline. It requires a lot of delayed gratification and, and it requires that there will be times when you come in and, um, because, because you have made an agreement with yourself to train light to moderate. It doesn't mean that other people have made that agreement with you necessarily. So if your partner ramps up, you have to have the discipline to not ramp up to their level. And that means that as, as a black belt, you've got blue belts and purple belts getting good positions on you and beating the shit out of you for mm. a couple of weeks, you know, or maybe not even beating the shit out of you. They just walk away from that round going, man, that was even, yeah. you know, that was good. And, you know, don't be a dork and tell them that, you know, I'm just taking it easy right now. I just want to let you know, like, don't, don't, don't do ego saving, you know, procedures, just, just train. It's the training room. That's it. I, I don't know um, if people really realize this, uh, but we, you know, like, especially with, with a black belt, maybe, maybe you tapped your black belt. Like maybe you got there and you did something or you did something really cool on your black belt. Um, yeah. Think about the fact that maybe you didn't really get that, you know, like maybe he's working on something and he let you get there, or maybe he was trying something and you got the better of him in that, in that scenario. If the black belt wants to kick your ass and you're a blue belt, don't get it twisted, man. The black belt will kick your ass. You know, uh, there's, there's been situations where, uh, I've, I've, I've caught upper belts, but I've, I realize that they're, they're playing, they're playing or they're doing something. They're being nice to me. You know, I, I don't get it twisted. The, the guy I train with Ramsey's over at a, a living art. He's, he's a young guy. He's 32. He's really good. 
uh, if I get something good on him, I know he's not going hard, you know, like I know he's not, you know, so like he's being nice to me and should I get something? Maybe sure. Like I got something on him, but if he turned it on, I would not, I would not have any chance, you know? And I, and I realize that and I think, I think that's something for your students that they should realize if they get to a good position, good for you. That's good. But understand that maybe he's working on stuff too, you know? And so he's practicing. I, I think in some cases that's true, but I also think that there's another side of that coin where if you're a proficient instructor and you're training, you're training young athletic people, um, if you're doing your job, they will over the course of X amount of years start, start to beat you and pass and pass you by. And if that's not happening, yeah. um, either it's, 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 there's a case by case basis there. It's, you know, it's all very individual, but either that person is, uh, not like not following your training protocols or your coach sucks. Yeah. You know, it, but, but I mean, I, I, I can tell you that I've got, I've got students who have like legitimately, uh, kicked my ass before. Uh-huh. And, um, it's not even that I was working on stuff. It's just that a lot of these guys are following the protocols and you know, they're, they're, they have the tools to win. Mm. That's really, and that, that, that at a certain point in time, like if, if, if that's not happening, you know, if you've been training, you know, for it, 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 it should happen. It should happen at a certain point in time. I've always felt like if I tap a higher belt or even a, especially like a black belt, I always feel like oh, I did something wrong. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to tap. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to go away now. You know, like I always feel guilty. I, think, yeah, I feel yeah, like, yeah. like I yeah. did something wrong. <laughs> so, so there, 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 are, uh, you know, this is like feeds into the conversation about like turning down roles. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, like, Oh, like there's this big guy and I like, don't want to roll with him. And there, like, there are times when I don't roll with certain people, but it's never because it's never because I'm afraid they're going to win. Um, it's a, it, it's, it, it would be much more fear over, I'm afraid you're going to do something wild and injure me. That, that is, that is really what it comes down to. Um, I think not taking, if you, if you're, if you're ducking somebody because like they're really good, uh-huh. um, you, you shouldn't do that. If you're ducking somebody because they're unpredictable, uh-huh. that's, that's legitimate. You know, yeah. and I will often turn down, turn down roles. Like if I feel like, you know, on this day, my mind and my body are not ready for such an unpredictable person. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you go on this day, I just don't want to have to deal with this person's skill. Well, that's, those are two very different things. Yeah. It, it's funny. I, as a bigger guy, I try to be really nice to the smaller guys. I don't mm-hmm. smash them the same as the bigger guys. But yeah, I've rolled with a guy. I rolled with a guy once who, who, who kind of, he went to like uh, collar tie me off the knees. He grabbed oh. me from the neck and threw me. He's a big guy, sure. S- stupid strong. Grabbed me from the neck and threw me. And that was right off the bow. Like we bow, we shake hands. He grabs right. my neck, throws me across the room. And I go to post. And when I posted, he threw me so hard and I was so off balance that I jacked up my, my shoulder. I couldn't roll for two uh, weeks right yeah, off the, right off the, the handshake. Yeah. That was the first time I was like, Oh, um, I should be careful who I roll with and I should be careful while I'm rolling. 
to make sure that these kind of things don't happen because that was crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I think you can also like you can have just even like a sidebar with somebody and like say like, hey, look, man, um, like I think you're, I, you know, I think you're very skilled. I think you're a real handful. Don't, like, let's not like w- one thing I see a lot is I see people like attempting these like like cartwheel passes or like jumping surfing passes that. I would say on the whole, they're extremely ineffective and extremely low percentage. Like try to think of the times that like you saw somebody hit a clean cartwheel pass Mm. into like side control or like North South. It's just like, it's, it's, it's not that good of a move. Mm. Um, but, but, but in route, you've got shins and feet and elbows flying everywhere. And there's a very high probability that like you can get kicked in the head as the person on the, uh, this person on the bottom. It's like, I would take those moments and say like, Hey man, like maybe, maybe don't do that or maybe don't do this or, you know, um, like those are okay conversations to have, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think again, the ego gets involved in, you know, I don't want this kind of thing. I'm a pussy. I don't want to, I don't want to say it. I don't want to tell him, you know, <laughs> like, like, look, just, you know, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to be here tomorrow? Maybe you have that conversation, right? It, it, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, do I want to be here tomorrow? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, hey, man, I, I don't know if that alarm was for you, but I got to jump too. Yeah, you, I got to jump. Gotta, yeah. Okay. So all, let's, all yeah, let's close this out. Do you want to plug anything while we're at it? I was just going to say, I, I, I always like to um, take an opportunity if I can to just like, uh, just plug the instructors. I always call them coaches. Uh, Chris, Dan, Darla, and Travis. They're, uh, they're, they're the main instructors at my school, the main, like, you know, other instructors. And I just always want to give my shout out and thank you anytime I get a, get a chance because uh, it would be at this point like impossible and totally unsustainable to run the show without them. So appreciate you guys. Yeah, I follow Dan uh, on Instagram and I also uh, follow I follow all those guys, but I know Travis and and I've met Darla. So like those guys, you got you got really good instructors there, man. Yeah, it's no, a good we school. do. I mean, everybody's everybody's like everybody's great. Everybody's very different. Um, but I, I prefer it that way. It's good. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on, John. Thank you, John Lawrence, for coming on the show, owner of Hurricane Jiu-Jitsu out in Cleveland. I am Edgar Traves. Thank you so much for listening. The music you're listening to is titled You Can't Stop Me by Mondays. And this is the Young Smoke remix. And if you dig this song, make sure you head on over to Epidemic Sound. Epidemic Sound provides a license for you to use their music. So one of my favorite things about Epidemic Sound is that you can download either a whole song or you can download the song in stems. What that means is you get the drum track, you get the guitar track, you get the voice track, all separated. And then you can fiddle with it. It's something I wanted to mention because that's exactly what I did with the music for this particular episode. If you dig that idea, make sure you head on over to Epidemic Sound. And when you do, use my referral link in the description. Also, I want to mention that we are now partners with Titan Fitness. Titan Fitness provides an excellent product for a really good price. I personally own the T2 rack and I actually own the shorter rack, which is sitting in my basement right now. It's freaking awesome. It's a great company. I highly recommend them, especially if you're trying to build your own home gym. So if you head on over to Titan Fitness, make sure you use my referral link in the description so that they know that I sent you. Once again, I am so happy to have John on the show. He always brings such an interesting conversation. But more than anything, I wanted to thank John. I I did in the episode, but I want to make sure that I thank him again for being one of the first people that allowed me to like record them on the subject of jujitsu. 
And not just once or twice, but several times. I believe this is the ninth episode we've done together. And I'm just so grateful because all these reps that I was able to get, especially talking to him, made me a better interviewer. So I am really grateful to John. And if you are ever in Cleveland, make sure you check out his wonderful school. It's a dope spot, man. You need to check it out. And John is just an excellent teacher, man. Honestly, he's got to be one of the best schools, at the very least in Cleveland. So if you live in Cleveland and you want to try out jujitsu now is the time because i believe at the moment he's teaching something that would be very good for beginners so if you want to try out jujitsu and you live in cleveland head on over to hurricane jujitsu if you want to follow john on instagram his handle is hurricane.jj you can also check out his website hurricanejj.com and if you dug this episode please like subscribe comment and share wherever you get this podcast at and press all the buttons that make the podcast gods happy thank you so much for listening this is Edgar Travis. We will catch you next time. Behave yourselves. Laters.